Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Noonan First United Methodist Church. We have a couple of quick announcements before we get into this week's sermons. We are currently looking forward to meeting together again for in-person worship starting on Sunday, June 28th. This will obviously look very different than before the coronavirus, but we're excited to start our new normal. Of course, if you don't feel comfortable coming to the church for worship at this time, we completely understand and will continue having online worship as we have been. If you do decide to come or are on the fence about it, rest assured we're doing everything we can to ensure the safety of our worshipers. For a complete guide, as well as a list of requests and requirements, see the latest Shepherd or visit noonanfumc.org slash reopening, and reopening is all one word. Also, please take a few seconds to fill out our reopening survey found on that same page. This will help us as we try to figure out the best way to welcome you all safely in person. Finally, make sure to stay in touch and get all the news you need at our website, noonanfumc.org, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Also, you can sign up to receive emails by going to our website and clicking email list under media. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you soon. There are two scripture lessons that I've chosen for this day of Pentecost. The first, the traditional story of Pentecost from the book of Acts in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above. And signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our gospel lesson is a brief lesson from John's gospel, chapter 7, beginning with verse 37. 
On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, Out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive, for as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The celebration of Pentecost as a Christian festival is linked directly with this lesson from Acts in which Luke gives his account of the church's beginnings. The place is Jerusalem within the temple precincts and the time is the day of Pentecost. This is only one of three references in the New Testament to the Jewish feast of Pentecost. It was one of the three most important Jewish festivals along with Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It was also known as the Feast of Weeks because it was observed seven weeks after Passover. Accordingly, it came to be designated Pentecost, Penta, 50th, since it was celebrated on the 50th day of the, after the Sabbath on which Passover began. In Christian practice, it occurred 50 days after Easter. Remember, we've talked about 40 days from resurrection to ascension, 10 more days until the day of Pentecost, and it closes out the season of Easter. Pentecost was observed in the early days of the church as a time of festivity and a time of great joy. No fasts were observed during this period, and Christians were to pray standing up in observance of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. In today's text, we have the first portion of Acts 2, which includes an opening description of the day's events, verses 1 through 4, a detailed roster of those in attendance, verses 5 through 11, and then their response to these events, verses 12 through 13, and the first section of Peter's sermon, verses 14 through 21, the major part of which is a quotation from the book of the prophet Joel. I want us to think now for a moment about verse 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Does anything magnificent ever take place or come to be in this world that wasn't first somebody's dream or or somebody's vision. Consider all of the marvelous life-giving, pain-easing medical discoveries over the last few decades that have made such a difference. The wonder drugs, the miracle modern machinery, the technology that changes every day so that life is enhanced and the quality of life is increased. Think about all those wondrous structures going back to the ancient pyramids in Egypt all the way up to the skyscrapers that dot our landscape in this land even today. All of those things at one time were dreams. They were in the imaginations of men and women before they came to pass, before anyone ever put pencil to paper. I think sometimes, and I know right now during the pandemic, these are not good days for Disneyland and Disney World for Mickey and, and Donald and all of those folks. Uh, 
And I don't know much about his background, but I wonder if Walt Disney's mother or father ever said to him when he was a boy, you better quit all that daydreaming and stop all that silly drawing that you're doing and prepare yourself for a job in the real world. Visionaries, dreamers, they're often discouraged. They're shunned by critical, often well-meaning friends and family. Boy, stop your daydreaming and get back to work. Girl, that's the craziest thing I ever heard tell of. Our scripture lesson for today has to do with dreams and visions. And you talk about visions when people say today they've had a vision. Sometimes we want to back away just a little bit. Even more than social distancing, we're a little afraid of people who claim to have had visions. We're skeptical. But the scripture lesson today from Acts paints a vivid picture of what was taking place on that eventful day of Pentecost. Many of the folks present were confused, asking, what does this mean? What's going on? Others were more cynical, saying of those who were filled with the Holy Spirit, they're drunk. They're all drunk. And then Peter started to preach. (laughs) These people are sober. All of this is what the prophet Joel said would happen so long ago. God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your young men, your young women, your old folks, dreaming dreams, seeing visions. These folks are not drunk, they're dreamers. They've caught a vision of what it would be like, what it can be like when the impossible is no longer a possibility. What are our visions? What are our dreams for our families and our communities and ourselves and our church? Not just ideas, although ideas and dreams have a lot in common. What are the dreams and the visions that God is planning in the heart of this right now scattered congregation? What are the dreams for ministries and visions that God is giving us to reach this community and beyond? Joe Harding said that dreams energize us. Dreams and visions pull us forward. Dreams unite us. Visions give us hope. Dreams give us a concrete direction in which to move instead of always looking backwards and longing for days that will not return. Doesn't the lack of impossibilities here at Newton First United Methodist Church ever excite you? It's all right to get excited about the church, even if we were to get so excited sometimes that folks say we were drunk. Even at 9 o'clock in the morning, we're not drugs, we're just dreamers. We're filled up and soaked by the dream maker, saturated by the vision that God poured out on that day of Pentecost and has continued to do so. And now to add another dimension to Pentecost 2020, our gospel lesson from John 7, 37 through 39, the passage begins on the last day of the festival, the great day. What festival is that? You might be asking. That was my first question when I read these verses. You know, inquiring minds want to know. A bit of research led to some remembering and some revealing. I remembered some of what I had forgotten about all of this and uh, learned some new things as well. What festival is that? This one in particular is the festival of booths or tabernacles, celebrating the completion of the harvest, but also commemorating God's protection over God's people when they wandered in the wilderness for so many years. In New Testament times, the festival had grown to an eight-day celebration centered around the temple. 
The temple court and the streets of Jerusalem would be filled with temporary shelters. The first day of worship was a day of solemn rest and worship. At the end of the day, four large lampstands were set up which led the entire city of Jerusalem. They were set up in the court of women women in the temple, and, and these lights symbolized the light of God. On days two through six, unless one of those days was a Sabbath, there were daily sacrifices. There were processions to the temple. It was party time. One of those involved the singing of the Hallel, Psalms 113 through Psalm 118. During a second procession, the priest processed from the temple to the pool of Siloam to draw water, returning through the water gate to pour the water on the altar as a libation. The marching was accompanied by singing, flute playing, dancing, waving of branches. There's a reference in Psalm 118 that we use on Palm Sunday frequently. And then during the third procession, which was accompanied by great revelry, the priest would light those great lamps, after which the celebrating would continue far into the night. The seventh day, or the great day, included a procession during which people waved branches, marched around the altar seven times, and prayed and hoped for a great harvest, that their life might be sustained and continued. So keeping that brief review of the festival in mind, let me read again that passage from John, just those two verses. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit, which believers in him were to receive, for as yet there was no spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Recall what was happening during that second procession. The priest went from the temple to the pool of Siloam to draw water. They returned to the altar and poured out the water as a libation, as an offering, with the sight, the taste, the sound of water in the background. And hang on to those thoughts. Listen again to these words of Jesus. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. Out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now, Jesus said this about the spirit which the believers were to receive. For as yet, this passage tells us there was no spirit. Jesus was not yet glorified, crucified, and risen and ascended. Now, hold those thoughts, if you will, while we look again at the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Jesus' words in John 7, the actions of the priest during the second procession of the festival of tabernacles, the words from the prophet Joel in the lesson from Acts, do you sense the connection here? Do you sense the liquid connection going on here? And as a significant aside in scripture, living water always refers to the grace of God. In biblical days, in many towns and villages, there was a synagogue, a place of study and gathering and worship. But in those places where there was no synagogue, the faithful could be found gathering by the river, by the streams, by the flowing water, which represented the grace of God. Or as some of my kinfolk might say, they was all gone down to the creek. Shall we gather at the river? 
going to lay my burden down, down by the riverside. When I go down to the river, when I went down to the river to pray, out of the believer's heart shall flow these living waters. Now Jesus said this about the spirit which believers in him were to receive. We read about that the day of Pentecost. But then the great day of Pentecost came in Acts and the spirit was poured out on the believers. Poured out, almost like water. When the Holy Spirit lives within us, rivers of living water flow from us as the church and as individual believers. The new dimension of Pentecost then is that we are called on and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live graciously and gracefully. For the last several years, my favorite book about grace has been called or is still called Putting a Face on Grace by Richard Blackaby. And I recommend it to you, to your Sunday school class, to your small group, to your family, a great book on grace. And I don't want to recap the entire book this morning. I want to give you a brief overview of some of the things that are in chapter 7, Becoming a Grace Giver, because I believe this has much to do with what we talk about and experience on the day of Pentecost. And the chapter is divided into five subsections, very briefly. Number one, consider the source of grace. Blackaby said the key is to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us to produce grace as only God can, as only the Spirit can. We think about the grace of God as our liquid asset, the living water. Grace comes from God. We cannot manufacture it ourselves. It's a gift of God, and if we'll receive it, it'll change our lives. In Wesleyan theology, we think about prevenient grace, God at work in our hearts before we even know it, justifying grace, lining us up with God, justifying, making right our hearts, and sanctifying grace, the grace that accompanies us all the days of our life, enabling us to grow and to become gracious and graceful people. And then two, consider our own need for grace. We need God's grace every day. And amazingly, every day God provides it. God is not stingy. God does not hoard grace, but pours it out on us. Number three, consider other people's need for grace. We are far more forgiving of our own shortcomings, aren't we, than we are the faults of others. It's easy to become so engrossed in our own lives that we overlook those folk around us who need a word of encouragement or a touch of kindness. If there are people around us who have been irritating us or angering us or provoking us, don't ask God to change them. Ask God to adjust our perspectives. Four, ask God to fill your heart, our hearts with grace. When that happens, we are filled with the wonder of God's grace and what God has done for us. And it shows in everything we say and do and in the way we relate to one another and even to those who seem so very different from us. And number five, look for opportunities to share grace. Grace givers, he said, look for practical ways to show kindness to others. If our hearts are full of grace, our words will be words of grace. We will refrain from gossip and criticism. We'll speak words that build folks up. And just because we show grace in some areas of our life doesn't mean that our whole lives are characterized by grace. Don't be satisfied, he said, until our entire lives are saturated, are soaked with the grace of God. God's Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, 
poured out on us, poured out. Rivers of living water flowing through us, from us. May the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with us all on this day of Pentecost, all the days of our lives. Amen.